Welcome to another episode of Mormon Discussion Podcast. I'm your host, Bill Real. Grateful to be with you today. Grateful for the chance to sit in front of this mic and to talk to you. It is November 5th. It is one year from the policy. I want to be short today, but I want to say a few things. One is that we released another episode today. Richard Osler, uh, former bishop in the church, just a very compassionate man. Uh, he, he chooses his words carefully. He's trying to play this middle road. Uh, just a, just an incredible man who I've, uh, I've really come to admire over the last, uh, six to eight months watching him interact online. He's an active, faithful Latter-day Saint. He's also an LGBT ally. And, and I hope you enjoy that conversation uh, as we released that one year from the policy. I also wanted to release an episode where I had just a few minutes to chat with you and to share some thoughts. And, and I want to talk, there's been lots of things going on. Um, Radio West just had two episodes where they talked about how the policy came into being. And, and when we say policy, obviously we're talking about the November 5th policy of 2015, where the church officially labeled um, those who are married in same-sex marriages as apostates and prohibited their children from receiving the ordinances preventing kids from being baptized, preventing confirmation, preventing ordinances as they, as they grow up and essentially disconnecting them from the church uh, in some ways, just severing them from the church. And there's, this has been a polarizing issue. And, and I want to talk radio West, of course, talks about, you know, how this policy came into being. And then they spend an episode talking about the effect of this policy and there's there's this BYU professor, I'll pronounce his name wrong so I won't even try, but there's this BYU professor who's playing the very TBM perspective. He's just wanting to defend the brethren at every turn. And and I simply want to share just a few data points. The The argument being made right now is that this really isn't affecting the church. Nobody's really talking about it. All the members of the church, generally speaking, are still just as much in and committed as they were. And and I simply don't think that's the case. The church is downplaying the resignation, saying it's like one-tenth of one percent a year, and it hasn't changed for decades. And the data seems to point somewhere else. And and I want to hit the data because it hits at a really important point. And I think you're beginning to see church leadership pick up on this. And and my, my gut tells me, I'm not a prophet, but my gut tells me that we have 20 years or less to fix this issue. And I mean fix it as in allowing LGBT folks in committed marriages where where they are legally and lawfully to participate in the church. And the church may not do that. I mean, it certainly has options. But if it doesn't, then I think the repercussions of that are great. Let me, let me share. So let's start off with the idea that this really isn't affecting anybody. It's a real small minority of people who are affected. And generally speaking, everybody who was on board before the policy is on board today. Here's the problem with that. Here's the data. In one of the leaked videos, there were there were about 10 or so leaked videos from church leadership having conversations about issues in the world. One of those videos, they're talking about their activity within their young men, young women, within their young adults. And I believe it's Elder Rasban, but one of the 70s at the time, who I think now is an apostle, and I think it's Elder Rasband because I know he's an apostle now and I think it was him. But he walks up to the front, hands a note to the guy. And the guy talking at the microphone says something like, Elder Rasband just handed me a note. Uh, our data shows that 72% of our 20-year-olds are inactive by that age. 
that essentially if you take a hundred members of the church at age 10 who are going to church, right? Or at age four going to church. And by the time they get to 20, age 20, 72% of them are no longer active. Now that's an incredible amount, right? So, so at age 20, for those who started off as members of the church going, by age 20, there are only 28% of the folks left still attending. Okay. So now let's talk about the 28%. So that's a really small number. Now of that 28%, Jana Reese just releases a study a few days ago on a survey about the LGBT issue. And she says of active Latter-day Saints, 72% of the, I think it's like the 40 and under crowd, uh, agree somewhat or agree strongly with the LGBT policy in terms of uh, those in same-sex marriages being labeled apostates. And then that number drops down to like 62% when you're talking about withholding ordinances from children. But you first have to understand that 72% of the people have already left. They've already gone. And that act, and that loss is way different than what it was 30 years ago, 50 years ago, 70 years ago. Way different. The church is now dealing with the fact that it has to have a huge growth rate in order to simply maintain the numbers it has today because of how many it simply just loses going right out the back door, right? And and then you have this survey that says, okay, the older generation's in pretty good support of this policy, but but that older generation also grew up in a very racist time of the 1960s and and also very homophobic time of the 70s and 80s. And they were the ones holding those views generally. And so I wouldn't expect the older crowd to be on board with, with shifting on this policy, their, their perspectives and paradigms. But of the younger generation of the 40 and under, again, of the 28% who are still left in the church, 72% of them somewhat or strongly agree with, with those in same-sex marriages being labeled apostates. And about 62% of those uh, folks agree that withholding ordinances, they're, they're agreeing with that somewhat or strongly. Now, think about that for a moment. What that means is if everybody left in the church who's active, about one out of four disagrees with the policy. Now, think in terms of rubber meets the road, feet hit the ground, how that works itself out in dialogue and conversation, right? Like there's never been a time in the church on a pressing issue where one out of four people in the group on something this big are like, hey, I don't agree with the church on this. One out of four, one quarter of the folks going to church on Sunday. So when you listen, when you when you go into church and you, and you sit for three hours, sacrament meetings, Sunday school, priesthood, relief society, young men, young women, you begin to realize that one out of four folks in that room are not completely comfortable with that policy. They... And you could argue that that percentage is even higher when you say somewhat agree, because that also speaks to another concept, which is for some of those who fully agree or completely agree with the policy, they haven't really thought, perhaps, again, I'm speaking generally, they're ones who say, look, when the brethren speak, we follow. It's like the guy in the back of my priesthood class who, who one day raises his hand and says, I just need somebody to tell me what to do. Like there are some of those folks. And so for the group who says, 
you know, I completely agree with the brethren. It wouldn't matter what was said. We could say, hey, everybody's going to kill their firstborn kid, and some of those would say, hey, I completely agree with the brethren. Let's do it. So we have to kind of like parse this out. So for those who say they somewhat agree, my understanding is they've had to kind of think of this issue. They've had to kind of think about it. And they're they're wanting to be faithful. They're wanting to stay on the side of the church, but they also realize there's some dissonance here. And and then recognizing that one out of four people in that room, a little stronger than one out of four, by the way, disagree with the policy, either somewhat or completely. Now, these conversations are going to play out. Now, once we get below the 40-year-old, let's go to the 30-year-olds. Let's go to the 20-year-olds. Those numbers are constantly dropping down to the point where when you're only talking about the 20-year-olds, again, 72% of them are already gone. We're only talking about the 28% who are left. Of those 20-year-olds, that percentage is down in the 40s and 50s. And so now you're talking about half the room disagrees with that policy. How's that going to play out in conversations? Now, the one thing the church can't afford to do, it can't afford to have its leaders being seen with diminished authority, meaning that we as members look at them and go, look, every day more and more I'm realizing these are just men just doing the best they can, and God's just not talking to them face-to-face the way I thought they did. And so I no longer am going to trust my authority in them. Rather, I'm going to trust other sources or I'm going to trust myself. And sure, I'll look to the brethren as a source of truth, but they're no longer the ultimate source of truth for me. That's something the church in its mind feels it can't afford to have. It's it's never really encouraged full independent thought. And it, and it can't have that. Now, here's the trouble. Half the people are already there in the 20-year-old crowd. Again, 72% of them are already inactive. We're only talking about the 28% who are left. And half of them are already wrestling because of this issue. Like, I don't think the church saw the long-term effect of what it was doing here. That it thought it was kind of just strengthening some loose ends and and perhaps working to kind of keep the LGBT community out of the face of the act, the act of TBM. What it did was it put that issue at the forefront of their face. Like the church could have just said nothing. It could have been silent. It could have just kept going, doing business as usual, and kept preaching compassion and just maintained its doctrine as it was. And this this shift would have taken a lot longer. By putting out the policy last November, it did the one thing it didn't want to do, which was to cause the general membership to have to think about what does it mean to be LGBTQ and and what does it mean to have to wrestle with that and is that a choice and is it not a choice and is it fair what we're asking of is it not fair what we're asking of them and in that wrestle the younger generation again 72% have left and of the 28% remaining half of them have some some cognitive dissonance in fact if we say somewhat disagree also then you're almost up to about three quarters of the membership in that 20 year old range who are having some cognitive dissonance with this issue. And any time a believing Latter-day Saint has cognitive dissonance because of things that leaders do, there is going to be an effect of diminished authority, a perspective of letting go of authority in your leader. So the church senses this. It, it recognizes, like it's it's looking at the data, it's looking at surveys, it's looking at all the whatever stuff is coming in. And it, and the brethren, I think, have met the point where they realize that the policy was a complete mistake. And so now they gotta figure out how to walk it back. And, and the first thing that they do 
is to release this new Mormon and gay website. And, and again, this is something they've been working on for a long time, but don't think for a moment in the last year that they haven't, as they've been working on this site, say, wow, we have got to portray ourselves as being more compassionate. We have to portray ourselves as being more inclusive on this issue, even though we're going to hold the ground that we're not going to change on this doctrine. And so when you, when you look at this website and you see, you know, L. Whitney Clayton as the first face, this is the guy who's been going around to leadership meetings. And, and I know this for a fact, going around to leadership meetings and telling leaders to like get the gay folks as far away as possible. And here he is on this, this website saying, no, we need to love, we need to include, we need to find ways to work alongside, we need to listen. One of the things he said, we need to listen, we need to sit down and listen to these people. It is a, it's, it, for me, it appears to be a 180 turn from the mode of operandi that he has taken uh, in the past. And so there is some e in internal shifting here. There's some need to kind of change the way that we are perceived by the public. And, but the trouble is, again, you put out this website and now you're publicizing it because it's the right thing to do and we got to make ourselves look more compassionate. But when you do that, you also are exposing more TBMs to having to think about the issue. In other words, this is the rabbit hole. This is the slippery slope that we're on. And as much as they're trying to figure out a way to just like dig in their, their fingernails and hold the ground they've got, no matter what they do at this point from their perspective, I think it's a lose-lose. And, and I think no matter what, the church has got to come around on this issue. And it now, I think it's now beginning to kind of wrestle with that and to see like, like we cannot maintain the ground we're holding. It's not working. And we want to maintain this ground that, you know, here's the doctrine. Those folks can't participate fully. And at the same time, we also need to put out a message that we want to listen to them. We want to hear them. We want to let them be in our wards. We want to let them find places where they can serve. We want to have compassion. We want to have empathy. But the moment you ask people to get in the trenches with, with folks who are LGBTQ, you are, you are absolutely setting that person up to paradigm shift and to change. In other words, you cannot sit back and both maintain the doctrine while loving these people. That eventually as you get to know enough of them or you get to know enough of their experience or you get to know enough of the history behind this issue, eventually one day you just cave in and say, this is unfair of us to ask this of them. Like, like for Mormonism, the height of Mormonism is to be uh, married to someone of the opposite gender in the temple, sealed for eternity, and to have children, to have posterity, and to be faithful and the blessings that comes from that. But for our LGBTQ brothers and sisters, we say the height of the gospel, the pinnacle of faith for you, is to be alone in solitude by yourself and hope that somehow God fixes the very core of who you are in the hereafter. And that, that conflict is butting heads right now in the middle of church headquarters. And the trouble is, if, if leaders say, look, we gotta be more compassionate, they're already admitting defeat because when you start asking TBMs to get to know these people and to love them, you're asking them to change their minds and to shift. And you also, once people realize the messiness and complexity of this issue, and if that pushes them to dive into race and priesthood and other things, 
it's it's only a hop, skip, and a jump before members no longer locate their religious authority in these leaders. So may I speak to the brethren for just a second? It's November 5th, 2016. I love you. I sustain you. That may not mean the same thing that it does to other members of my ward, but it does mean that I truly do raise my hand with full integrity and say I sustain you. I also have faith in the church. That may not mean the same thing that it means to members of my ward or members of the church generally. I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe in his atonement. That may mean something different than others believe. I believe in the Book of Mormon as scripture. That may mean something different. But let me tell you something. I'm an active member of the church. I'm here. I plan on going every Sunday. That's my intention. But I'm going to tell you that within my own home, we've had to deal with this LGBT issue. And it is it has caused a loss of faith, not because of who I am and because of what I do and because of what I talk about, That's not the reason my family has been harshly affected. My family's been harshly affected because of the policy. My kids, to a T, every single one of my four kids has had cognitive dissonance over this policy. As they have gone to school and tried to be friends with with folks who are LGBTQ, as they've sat and thought about what it means to love somebody and to understand somebody, when that policy came out on November 5th of 2015, my daughter, without me saying anything to her and her being full in, came to my wife and said, Mom, I don't agree with this. What do I do with that? And it opened up the chance for us to have conversations about how limited Prophets acting as such are that there are glimpses from time to time, as DNC one points out, where they get inspiration from God. But, but dear daughter, dear child, you trust your gut. Heavenly Father has given you the Holy Spirit. He's given it to all of his children and it is a way to measure truth. So my dear daughter, trust your gut. What does your gut tell you? And to a T, every one of my four kids has been distanced from the church in the last year. Now, I've been doing this podcast for four years, five years now. I've been talking about controversial issues. I've been raising questions. I've been having comments with my children when it's appropriate to have deeper discussions. That is not what has done this to them. It has been this policy. And I'm simply telling the brethren, please hear me. The younger generation, you're losing them. And I get it. You need to hold this older generation. No, you don't. You have no church in 30 years if you don't do something to maintain these kids. In your Sunday school classes, in your priesthood and relief society classes, in your elders quorum, in your young men and young women's classes, again, by the age of 20, 72% of them aren't even there. You've lost them. You have lost them. And of the 28% who are left, when you get to the younger generation and young men's and young women's, Half of them have lost trust in you. So I'm going to simply say, like, yes, you can try to, like, play this middle ground and hold this older generation while trying to maintain as many of these young folks as possible. You're going to have no church left. You're going to have nobody to man the temples. You're going to have nobody. You're going to have to close wards down. I'm simply speaking from my heart here, and I'm saying what my suggestion is, is the older generation, let them go. The older generation's gone anyway. They're gone. You have no church without the next generation. Figure out how you're going to fix this issue. And it's not going to be by maintaining and holding ground on the doctrine while encouraging people to interact and have compassion with the LGBT community. Those two don't go together. Anybody who has their feet on the ground interacting with the LGBT community and serving with them and talking to them and listening to them, 
I would love to know the survey on what percentage of those folks are still maintaining the doctrine and still maintaining complete trust in you. Your best hope, your best hope is for the 15 of you to go off into that room and to look each other in the eyes and say, look, we've been wrong before. Maybe we're wrong here. What is the Old Testament? What is Paul repeating in the New Testament? Why doesn't the Book of Mormon address homosexuality? Why doesn't the Doctrine and Covenants address homosexuality? Who are in the lower two tiers of the celestial kingdom? Why is it that Adam and and Jehovah, why is it that Michael and Jehovah, two premortal men, create the earth? Meanwhile, we teach that the only people who enjoy creative powers are post-mortal men and women sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise. Like, go into the room and have a real conversation about the complexity of your own theology and simply look at each other. Just look at each other and say, you know what? Jesus hasn't shown up in this room and said something to us directly. Is it possible we're wrong and we're, we're, we're the only ones holding back from this getting, this getting righted? That this, this ship getting shifted back to the right direction? Is that possible? And again, I'm not, I'm not debating that the church is an apostasy. That's, that's not what I'm saying. You want that? You can go have a conversation with Denver Snuffer. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that certainly prophets can lead the church astray in areas. It's happened in the past. Sometimes it's happened over decades and decades and even centuries. And the question is, is it happening right now? And if you want to save the church, and save the younger generation, you're going to have to figure out how to address this issue once and for all, because I don't know that you have 25 years to do it. And I think even if you wait 20, the damage is severe, because at that point, a 15-year-old is a 35-year-old, and that is the heart and soul of your wards. In 15 years, the 35-year-old is a 50-year-old. In 15 years, the 45-year-old is the 60-year-old. Guys, you don't have time to push this off. To the LGBT brothers and sisters out there, like I just want you to know I feel for you. And and I hope for you. And people, I sat down at a dinner a week ago. Had a great time with some friends of mine. We're sitting and we're talking about the church and talking about this issue specifically. And they and they say, "Bill, why do you stay? Why do you stay?" Like like you realize that this is really complex and you could just walk away. And and I looked at them and I said, look, I stay not because of me. I, I'm willing, I'm willing to make a sacrifice here. I'm willing to lay kind of my life on the altar here and deal with this tension, deal with cognitive dissonance, deal with people looking down upon me, deal with a measure of angst in my life. I'm willing to deal with that because what I want is a hundred years from now, there to be something better in this church that truly does validate and honor the scripture that all are alike unto God and truly recognizes the complexity of this issue and has made the necessary changes to love and welcome and, and to f allow full participation of LGBT folks in, in legal and lawful marriages as, as full participants in the gospel of Jesus Christ within the church. And that's my hope. Brethren, you are at a precipice moment. It's my hope that you see not just where the data says right now. Sure, 72% somewhat are completely agree. Great, let's move on. No, 72% have already left. 
72% of who's left somewhat or completely agree. And when you look at the younger generation, it's less. So today there's a, there's 25% of the folks and actually 28, 28% of the folks in the room of Sunday school disagree with this policy and are, and are rethinking paradigms in the church because of it. Of the, of the 40 year olds, of the 30 year olds, of the 20 year olds, now you're up to 40, 50, 60% of those folks in the room who disagree, who are raising their hand and saying, I'm not okay with this, guys. Here's my perspective. Where do you think that goes in 20 years? Where do you think that goes in 40 years? Where do you think that goes in 60 years? And the longer you wait to make that change, the more cognitive dissonance between what they thought you were and what you actually are, and the more paradigm shift before between their trust with you in the church and their realization of just how wrong you can get it. So I'm simply just going to leave it at that. It's your moment. You want to be prophets, seers, and revelators, then give them something. Give them something that says, look, here's the ground we were holding, but God spoke, and he has changed our hearts. That would be prophecy. That would be revelation. That would be inspiring. May the Lord warm your shoulders. In the sacred name of Jesus Christ, amen.